This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about your legal rights and your questions about the law. Good morning. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill, and I'm joined as always by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Donna Davis, a professor of tax law at Ole Miss. This morning, we are going to talk about tax reform and look closely at the proposed Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that is being debated in Congress. Tax reform is a complex and often political issue, but this morning we're going to take the politics out of it and just talk about what the proposed changes in the tax law say, how those changes could affect you, affect your small business, or affect your employer. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. I'm Greg Mayer, and I'm joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Donna Davis, a professor of tax law at Ole Miss. This morning, we are talking about tax reform and how the proposed changes to the tax code could affect you. We'd love for you to join our conversation. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Greg, and uh, great to have Donna Davis on the program today. Um, She uh, has been an expert in tax law for a long time, but really um, her work uh, with our tax clinic has done so much good for the people of our state, and uh, she'll be a fantastic guest to have on on this topic, tax reform. And I'm really happy you wanted to talk about this today. (laughs) Uh, I I did. I think this is a timely topic. Tax reform is, is complex. And when Congress starts tinkering with the tax code, sometimes it's hard to understand what it is they're uh, they're doing. And so, Professor Davis, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. I actually I remember taking your tax law class at Ole Miss some some years ago. Um, and I was hoping this morning we could get started if you could just give us an an overview uh, as how the proposed changes to the tax law could affect individual taxpayers. It's really a very mixed bag, um, and that's part of the problem with the the bill is that for some people it's going to be a a dramatic decrease in their taxes, for some people it's going to be a modest decrease, and for some people it's actually going to be an increase in in their tax bill because this is one of those uh, provisions where it gives with one hand and takes away with the other. And so it's very difficult to figure out exactly where each individual is is going to fall. 
for many middle class uh, taxpayers, however, while it's a, a, a significant sounding tax savings in, in, in the current year, for some people it's going to be very very modest and that benefit will go away and be turned around within five or ten years and so they'll be paying more taxes than they would under the current system. Let's talk a little bit uh, specifics, maybe on like tax rates, because uh, tax rates, there's proposed simplification of the tax rates under this uh, proposed law. Uh, Could you tell us first a little bit about what is the tax rate and then what uh, generally are the changes that are being proposed? Tax rates uh, fall into certain brackets. And so, for example, the first portion of your income uh, currently is taxed at 10% and the next portion at 15%. As your income goes up, uh, the bracket rates continue to go up uh, in, in basically seven steps to 39.6%. Uh, and, and the simplification is that we're only going to have four rates. Unfortunately, uh, that means for some people they're going to fall into a higher rate for some people, they're going to fall into a lower rate. There doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason of where the brackets for increased tax liability happen. And so, it, um, for, for, again, for some people, it's going to mean a, a better situation. For some people, it's going to be a worse situation. But overall, uh, the, the biggest benefit is going to be uh, those people who are making uh, a lot of money, uh, because their tax rates drop the most, and the highest bracket doesn't kick in until much, much later, much higher up the income scale. So, for example, if, if I am an individual taxpayer and I make $50,000 a year, uh, how, if at all, will the change, the proposed change in the law affect me as far as the tax rate is concerned? Okay. Uh, if if you uh, made eighteen thousand dollars or, or less, you used to pay at ten percent. Now you'd be paying uh, that income at twelve percent. And then, if you make fifty thousand dollars, the next uh, change would be part of your income would be taxed at fifteen percent under the current bill and under the new under the current law. And under the new bill, your rate would be twelve percent, uh, and, and until you got up to. Uh, uh, $90,000. And so that's a, uh, that's a rate break for most people in, in those areas. Uh, the problem comes that, uh, again, that those, those rates, the benefit of those rates are taken away by loss of deductions for many middle-class people. This morning, we're talking with Professor Davis at the University of Mississippi School of Law about the proposed tax reform and how that proposal could affect you. We'd love for you to join our conversation, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, Professor Davis and Professor Gershon, yes, you just mentioned deductions. Uh, that is another area that uh, is proposed to be changed. Could you, if you could, tell us uh, a, a little bit about what deductions are and then tell us what the general changes that are being proposed. Deductions generally are you, you, you stack up all the income that you've earned and then you can subtract out your deductions in deciding how much income is actually going to be taxed at the end of the day. 
and there's been some pretty dramatic changes in the deductions that are available to taxpayers. Uh, one uh, deduction that uh, taxpayers have always been able to count on is a personal exemption deduction. And so if I filed a joint return with my husband and I had two children, I would be entitled to a personal exemption uh, for each one of us, my husband, myself, and our two uh, dependent children. And the, that deduction was last year $4,050. That deduction is now gone. Now, it's, it's not completely gone because it's been replaced with a credit, um, but that credit uh, is, is reduces your tax liability, but the credit is worth less than the deductions were worth, and sometimes in some places, worth a great deal less. So again, uh, Congress is uh, the the bill gives with a higher standard deduction, but then immediately cuts into that by taking away the value of of other deductions that were previously available. In in the standard deduction, you'd mentioned that the changes, as I understand it. For an individual taxpayer today, you could deduct six thousand dollars. That's your that's your standard deduction, and under the proposed bill, that goes to twelve thousand dollars. Yes, and and for many people, that will help. Um, although for people who were already itemizing under the current standard deduction, there's no additional benefit, um, and so the the people who will benefit from that are people who did itemize but have itemized deductions less than the new standard deduction. And so it's kind of a narrow band because uh, even before this, this bill uh, potentially takes effect, 70% of people already took the standard deduction uh, and did not itemize. So with that in mind, if 70% were already taken the standard and now they've increased the standard, that would suggest to me more people would take the standard deduction uh, under yes, the proposal. more people will take the standard deduction, and it's a higher amount, and, and so that's no doubt, uh, no doubt a benefit. Um, it's just, in many cases, not as large of a benefit as it sounds on the surface. And Greg, you know, what, what's complex about it is you've got some taxpayers who actually will spend $12,000 that would have been itemizable deductions. Now, basically, they get no benefit from those expenses because of the standard deduction. Someone else who has roughly you know, zero in expenses uh, similar to the other taxpayer will get that same 12000 So it's hard to see how that you know, works out equitably between the two taxpayers. And, and I think one thing that helps or one thing that Congress took into account when they've upped the standard deduction to, to 12000 individual and 24000 for married is they then eliminated your ability uh, if I'm understanding the law correctly, eliminated your ability to deduct a lot of these expenses you're talking about. Is, is, is that a fair assessment? That's exactly right. And, and I think it would be helpful if we could sort of talk about a few of those so individuals could understand things you could deduct now that are expenses that you can't or would not be able to deduct under the uh, proposed law. If you could sort of walk us through some some examples. Uh, there are a couple of big ones. Um, and uh, one is, is the personal exemption that we, that we talked about that's been replaced with a, with a credit. Uh, another very large one is your state and local income taxes are no longer going to be deductible, and uh, your property taxes deduction uh, will be limited to $10,000. Uh, and uh, an, another uh, 
one that's that's enormously important to some people are the medical expense deductions um, because the people who were able to take the medical expense deductions were people who had catastrophic uh, medical bills um, because you had to get over a, a certain amount of medical expenses before you can deduct them at all. So people who were able to deduct their medical expenses uh, were, were really in, in, in some pretty um, dire situations, and now that deduction is gone for those people. What, what is the specific change? I've seen something about 10% on the medical. Uh, is, is, are you just not allowed to deduct it all uh, on, on medical expenses under the proposal? Well, right. I mean, it used to be, Greg, that, as Professor Davis said, they were, um, they were had to be catastrophic expenses to start with, and that makes sense because we, we don't want for the tax system to be the insurer for general medical expenses. But when, when someone has catastrophic medical expenses that are so you know, high relative to their adjusted gross income, uh, then the old act uh, or the current act allowed them to take a deduction above that threshold. But, but this one would, my understanding is, eliminate uh, medical expenses. And, and I think you know, some, of the, you know, some of the argument in, in favor of eliminating medical expenses, you know, limiting the, the, mor- how the mortgage deduction, uh, deduction for state and local taxes would be why should other taxpayers uh, pick up the tab for those who live in states with high state taxes or where they have high mortgages? On the other hand, um, you know, it does seem like uh, we've had a, a system that's built on some of these deductions for a long time. And so, you know, there'll be major impact removing these deductions so dramatically. Well, we're going to take our first break for the day. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the proposed tax reform and how it affects you. If you'd like to join our conversation or have a question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org forward slash In Legal Terms. You can also find it on the new MPB Media app. All of MPB's shows are available on the app. This morning, we are talking with Professor Davis at the University of Mississippi School of Law about the proposed changes to the tax code that Congress is currently debating. We are discussing ways those changes may affect you and before the break, we were talking about the changes in deductions, uh, the standard deduction, changes in what you may be allowed to deduct. Uh, 
on your tax returns. And there's a few more that we could go through that I think would be of, of some importance, one being student loan interest deduction. Could, could you tell us a little bit about what the proposed change is as far as student loans is concerned? It, it's one of those that is, is being eliminated, um, and uh, along with a whole variety of other uh, benefits, the adoption, uh, uh, along with other credits. The adoption credit is going to disappear. The credit for the elderly and disabled is going to disappear. Um, there, it, it, it very much shifts uh, a lot of these uh, previous benefits into, well, now you get a higher standard deduction. Well, that's great, but um, that's not really tax reduction. That for, for many of those people, it's just a replacement of the standard deduction for other things that they were uh, previously entitled to to deduct. And it, it doesn't um, – parts of this bill seem to not take into account the follow-on effects of, of some of their changes. For example, the – reduction in your ability to take your home mortgage interest. Right now, you can take interest on a loan up to a million dollars. Under the new proposal, you can only deduct up to 500, uh, the interest on a, on a loan of $500,000, and uh, your ability to take your real property tax deduction is going to be capped at $10,000. Well, that, that uh, seems like a lot, but many people bought their homes under the assumption that these items would be deductible and would generate a tax savings for them, and therefore it allowed them to either buy a home or to buy a more expensive home. And for the home mortgage interest, the, the existing mortgage that's our grandfathered in under the, under the old rules, the present rules, um, but the loss of uh, that interest deduction on future mortgages and the loss of real property uh, taxes uh, could have a, a, a negative impact on the price and value of, of homes, especially for people who live in uh, high-cost areas. Um, and we could see uh, another uh, real estate slump uh, of uh, sales and housing and, and the value of housing uh, dropping, especially in, in some uh, areas of the country. Professor Davis, yeah, one, uh, one of the things in the bill that, that kind of really surprised me was the elimination of the alimony deduction, which, I, you know, the, the way that it works now is the person who is paying alimony can take a direct deduction. They don't have to itemize it. They can take it directly off of their, their taxes, uh, their gross income. And, um, and what that does is it allows it, it enables that person to be able to pay a little bit more to their, to their spouse in alimony, it actually benefits the recipient spouse as well as the payor. When you start taking away that deduction, you affect that economic in such a way that it's harder than uh, to shift that income from one person to another if they don't get also the concurrent deduction. And it, uh, go back to, I want to make sure, uh, Professor Davis, I understood on the mortgage interest deduction. Do I understand correctly that the most, if the most you could deduct, uh, no matter how much interest you pay, will be ten thousand dollars. Oh no, that's the. I'm sorry, that's the real property deduction. Okay, okay. Mortgage interest. That I, I misunderstood. Uh, and, and was, no, the mortgage interest is limited by how much the debt is. Yes. And so currently, you can have debt up to a million dollars and deduct all of the interest on on that debt. The um, the new rules would be only five hundred thousand dollars of debt, and you could uh, deduct the interest on that. Got it. 
And, and one thing that's uh, one deduction that's not eliminated, but I'd be curious if, if you had thoughts, uh, is the charitable deduction. Uh, would the proposed tax reform, as it's, as it's currently stated, could that have an effect on charitable deductions? It could have a huge effect, and, and many, many charities are uh, coming out and, and, and resisting this bill for that very reason, because currently, uh, if, if you make large charitable contributions, you can um, itemize your, your deductions and, and take that, uh, that, that deduction, uh, and now with the standard deduction going up, fewer people will be able to take that deduction. And what we know about charitable giving is in certain, uh, certain areas, it's very tax sensitive. And by tax sensitive, what we mean is that people will either give or give more if they are entitled to a deduction for that giving, and they will either not give or will give less if they do not get that tax deduction. Um, so it could have a, a, a negative effect because you no longer have the incentive uh, in terms of tax uh, incentive to actually give larger uh, donations. Exactly. Um, let's shift gears on some other issues that affect could affect individuals uh, with the proposed changes. Now, one that we hear a lot about in the news, I'm not sure how many people it affects here, but the estate tax or the death tax. Could you tell us what the proposed change is? Well, first, what is that the death tax or the estate tax, and what's the proposed change? Greg, uh, this is one of my... my uh pet issues, if you will, because it's, first of all, it's, it's, uh, it's been proposed, it's been called the death tax, when in fact, really, it is a tax on the transmission of wealth from one generation to another, typically. It's almost like uh, having to pay a toll to transmit that wealth to the next generation. It currently applies to only two out of every 1,000 estates, so, you know, a very small percentage of people pay. Uh, their estates have to be uh, over 10.8 million as a married couple, uh, in taxable estate, and with people like uh, Professor Davis and me and other estate planners, uh, people who can help people minimize their estate taxes, uh, they can actually transmit even more wealth um, at a lower lower tax rate. Um, the effective rate on the estate tax, uh, even though the highest bracket is currently 40%, the effective rate's only about 16 to 17% that people are actually paying. And, the, and uh, it was actually brought into being... Um, by Teddy Roosevelt over 100 years, a little over 100 years ago with the idea that um, uh, uh, property was going up in value in people's estates and that was never being taxed and that was being passed to the next generation never having been taxed. So it was a way to make sure there was at least one level of federal taxation. Um, the opponents of the, the tax say it you know, creates double taxation. That's really just not true. 55% of the wealth transmitted by estates over $100 million is comprised of uh, untaxed appreciation of their assets, real estate and stock. Um, and so this is a way to at least tax that at some level. Um, it, if we repeal the estate tax, it would cost over 10 years about $289 billion. So, uh, you know, that's a, we've got to replace that somewhere. Uh, it's not a huge amount, but that's also something to think about. But the, the bottom line is it's been, it's been uh, proposed to repeal the estate tax in the current uh, 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 Republican proposal right now, um, and that would clearly only benefit um, people in the highest, highest uh, income brackets and highest wealth. Let's go to the phones. Jim uh, from Madison has been waiting. Jim, good morning. Good morning. 
Um, I understand that one provision of the new tax bill or the proposed tax bill would repeal the Johnson Amendment insofar as it applies to churches, which, as I understand it, would allow churches then to make campaign contributions to uh, political campaigns or political candidates. I guess, number one, is that true? And um, if so, what restrictions would there be on the amounts of those kinds of contributions especially from non-corporate organization churches like associations? That is a great question, and it, and it is. Uh, in the bill, as it's proposed right now, the repeal of the Johnson Amendment, uh, which really has nothing to do with revenue, frankly. I mean, it has to do instead with uh, um, allowing churches to lobby. Now, you know, churches are tax-exempt organizations uh, that can accept charitable, contrib- charitable contributions that are deductible by donors. Uh, those can be anonymous. And so it would be an opportunity for money, uh, unaccountable money, uh, to be used for lobbying for legislative change. You know, the whole idea, that, you know, the, the, the original Tea Party was about no taxation without representation. This would give representation without taxation. This would allow uh, large uh, tax-exempt organizations to, in essence, uh, be able to funnel money for lobbying. And, and I think... The Johnson Amendment, as it was originally uh, enacted in the 1960s, was good, good policy and thoughtful policy. Jim, did that answer your question? This would allow, say, Hussein, Hassan Roussani from, um, from Iran to contribute a billion dollars to a mosque in San Francisco, which could then in turn use that billion dollars to lobby the Congress. Without so, uh, money yeah, no, I think, you know, there would be some regulation of foreign contributions, but, but nonetheless, I mean, it, it would allow someone who uh, wanted to give a large amount of money to a church uh, uh, anonymously uh, to have that church lobby on behalf of cert- certain legislation or to uh, affect an election. That could happen. And I, and I want to add that, you know, right now, individual church members or synagogue members or mosque members uh, you know, can can write their can can try to influence legislation. Absolutely, that is their First Amendment right. It's just the tax exempt organization itself can't do that. So I would always advise uh, members of congregations. You know, if they wanted to reach out and 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 try to change legislation, they could write a letter to their congress uh, person themselves. Absolutely, but the church or the synagogue or the mosque could not do that directly as a uh, as an entity. And I think and this is not something that we impose solely on uh, religious institutions. For example, businesses are prohibited, except in very limited circumstances, from deducting uh, monies that they use to lobby uh, Congress or, or to uh, support one candidate or, or another. And so the, the uh, trade-off in the past has been if you're doing it through Tax, if, if the expenses are going to be tax deductible, then you don't get to use them for uh, for lobbying and, and, and supporting individual candidates. Um, if you are willing to give up that tax exemption, you can effectively say whatever you want. Um, so you can't be uh, effectively supported by the government and other people's tax dollars and, and then use those dollars for, for lobbying. Jim, thank you so much for the call. 
We're going to take our next break for the day. And when we come back, we will continue our conversation about the proposed changes to the tax code and how those changes affect you. We'd love for you to join our conversation. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking this morning with Professor Davis about proposed changes to the tax law that are currently being debated in Congress. Uh, We've spent most of the first half of the show talking about how the proposals would affect individual taxpayers. There's a lot more we can cover. Maybe we can circle back to it near the end of the show. But for this segment, uh, Professor Gershon and Professor Davis, I'd like to turn uh, the discussion to businesses. And if you could just give us an overview of the uh, proposed changes and how they would affect uh, businesses. Um, if I could kind of, uh, for, for a moment, just put this, this bill in, in slightly broader terms. Um, we have an income tax that's based on people's ability to pay. Uh, and if you look at the polling data, some of the taxes that are perceived as being the most fair are those taxes that are linked to people's ability to pay. And that uh, encourages people to uh, pay their taxes and, and, and conform with the, uh, with, the, with the law. And as we move further and further away from that, it potentially drags the whole system into, into disarray. And I think that's what we are starting to see with the current rates and what's going on with corporate rates because uh, we know most stock is owned by uh, the very wealthy and what's happening with corporations is that the rates are going down dramatically from a a maximum rate of of 35%, which very few corporations actually pay, down to a a rate of of 20% or, or much lower and that takes away consistently the tax that is being earned by businesses, by capital, uh, and that money, again, has to come from somewhere. And a lot of the loss of revenue uh, from, these, from, from these changes gets shifted back onto salaried individuals who have no way to avoid the highest tax brackets. And so we can talk about individual uh, effects. We can talk about corporate effects, but they are inherently linked to, to one another uh, in, in, in that way. That, that, that's an excellent point. Uh, and it, it, as I had understood it, the largest change with regard to corporate taxation is going to be lowering the corporate tax rate from 35%, which, as you noted, many corporations don't pay that high anyways, and it's going to go down to 20%. Is that correct? That, that's absolutely right. And it seems in some ways like a small technical change, especially if corporations aren't already paying at that rate. But again, this, this looks at follow-on effects. It, it changes people's incentives. 
And so now businesses that are being run as uh, partnerships or limited liability companies and are therefore paying either um, at the individual rate of uh, a, a really uh, successful ones paying at the 39.6% rate are now going to want to become C-Corps and so they can take advantage of that lower 20% rate. And so, and, and, and other businesses also, we're talking about a lower tax rate that applies uh, to partnerships and LLCs, limited liability companies. And those changes change people's incentives in, in, in ways that are, are, are pretty, uh, pretty uh, impressive. And so a lot of the businesses that are not currently run as corporations will want to be corporations. And therefore, it's not just the revenue that we're losing from current corporations. We're also going to lose revenue from all of those businesses that become corporations. And, you know, the thing is, the only way we can raise revenue in our country is to assess taxes, which we're going to lose revenue under this bill, Uh, increase the debt, you have to borrow, or we have to cut programs. And typically, if we're going to cut programs, we're going to cut programs to the people who – need those programs as a support base. And so, you know, that I think the big concern is how much uh, these tax savings uh, at some levels are going to ultimately, you know, cost the entire country because there's no, you know, every, every assessment I've read says that this will increase uh, the national debt and the well, budget deficit. Well, let's go back to the phone lines because Noah from Oxford has been waiting on the line. Good morning, Noah. Hey, uh, how's it going? Good. What's your question this morning? Uh, I had two questions. First, uh, you kind of touched on basically uh, uh, literacy when it comes to tax policy and the common public, uh, that their views are often kind of misguided. They hear uh, on the 20% bracket, they assume that they're being taxed at exactly 20%, even though effective tax rates don't work like that. Uh, is there any way to explain to people who might not know very much about tax policy about uh, uh, basically effective taxes? Um, sure, and you, and you make a really good point about the literacy and, and, and public views. Um, in my second year of law school, I, I, I took tax and fell in love with it because what I, what I discovered is once you work through the complexity and the technical jargon, this is a place where we make some of our biggest social justice decisions in the, in the United States about who pays for what the government provides. And because it's complex and technical, often the public views differ from what is uh, really, really there. Um, as, as for explaining effective rates, um, the, the way I do this for my class is, is I say um, you have all of these different rate brackets, and so uh, part of your income is going to be taxed at 10%, and part of it's going to be taxed at 15%, part of it's going to be taxed at 25%, et cetera, but it's only the last dollars that you earn that are going to be taxed at that highest rate of wherever your income falls. And so you can say, I'm in a, 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 a rate bracket of 25%. That doesn't mean all of your income was taxed at 25%. Uh, some of it was taxed at 15%, and some of it was taxed at 10%. And so uh, we call that latest, that, that highest uh, amount, 
your marginal bracket. That's where you pay your last dollar of taxes. But those dollars that come before that are all taxed at lower rates. And no one I hope that just, was helpful. Noah, did you have a second question? Uh, yeah, my second question is kind of going back to uh, the, dedu- the deduction discussion earlier. And um, the in the new tax plan, it eliminates uh, teachers basically being able to claim school supplies that they bought. And now I went to one of the best high schools in Mississippi, best public high schools in Mississippi, Oxford High School. And, I mean, even my teachers had to buy Expo markers. So I was wondering if there was any purpose to the elimination of this deduction, would teachers be better off with the tax cut than they would be with the deduction, or is this just uh, something that got put in there? Well, currently they're only allowed a certain amount of deduction for supplies that they use in their classroom, which is already unfair. They should be able to deduct all of that. Uh, consistently because they're uh, providing it in their in their trade or business. And so the provision that limits that is already unfair to teachers, and to eliminate that deduction is even less fair. Um, and you can't justify it by saying, well, now you get the higher standard deduction, because generally what you get to do is deduct your costs of generating income. Well, that's part of their cost of generating their income. They should be able to deduct that regardless of whether they itemize or take a standard deduction. So teachers who are providing uh, uh, supplies and that sort of thing for their classrooms are already being treated uh, badly, and this bill just treats them more badly. And that's kind of a historic thing in the, in just in our tax law that employers, people who own the business, get to deduct all their expenses related to their trader business. Employees have always been limited. So, you know, if, if, if I have to buy a uniform, uh, for uh, my work, I may be, may have been able to deduct it in the in the past, but I would have to itemize first. Whereas my employer, if they provided the uniforms, that would all be deductible off the top. Noah, did that answer your question? Yeah, that was great. I appreciate you guys' time. Thank you so much for your call. We'd love for you to call us too. Number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, and professors, I circle back. We were talking uh, before Noah's helpful call, talking about changes uh, uh, at the corporate level, and we talked about the big change being the reduction in the uh, corporate tax rate. There's some other changes that are being proposed. For instance, for instance, the uh, ability to depreciate uh, assets. Could we we talk a little bit about how this could benefit or, or not benefit businesses? I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that was the very next thought uh, um, that, that I was having uh, about changes. Currently, if you buy, uh, for example, if I have a construction business and I buy a bulldozer, well, that bulldozer is, is, that bulldozer is going to be useful to me over um, multiple years. And so what I do is I take the cost of that bulldozer and I deduct a piece of it each year. Okay. And that, that links my costs of producing income with the income that it produces and pro- provides more of a fair measure uh, of, of my income. The current proposal is to allow uh, a current write-off of, of those kinds of assets. And so it reduces tax liability in, in the first year by a very large amount. Um, and that's... Uh, Effectively, the same thing as getting a zero-interest loan from the government uh, because they're giving you your tax savings not over the period of time 
when that asset is useful to you, the period of time that that bulldozer uh, will will provide useful uh, services, but instead it lets you write it off all in the first year as if the bulldozer lost all of its value in, in one year, that's going to reduce your current tax liability. And, and if you have to pay taxes, you'd always rather pay them later than sooner. And what this does is allows uh, certain taxpayers to do exactly that. Their tax liability is only going to come due much later than their real economic income comes into them. And Professor Davis, in that situation, you could actually, someone, a business could generate effectively a tax loss, even though they had a net positive cash flow, so that they were actually making money, but because of these, uh, what we call paper losses, these write-offs uh, up front, uh, they could show a, you know, negative income on their taxes. We're going to take our final break for the day. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the proposed Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There's still a lot more we can cover, and there's still time for you to join the conversation. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org forward slash In Legal Terms. The show is also available on the MPB Media app. We're going to continue our discussion about the proposed changes to the tax law. We're going to go right back to the phones. We've got Willard from Bay St. Louis. Good morning. Good morning, sir. What's your question? Uh, very simply, is it likely that we'll have a postcard size tax return? Oh dear! Um, you, you, the, your current tax refer, return is really only about two pages long, and so a postcard-sized return, if you write really small, really really small, um, and uh, try to uh, put all that information into a postcard, especially with more people filing for the standard deduction, you might get it on a postcard. Um, it, that doesn't seem to me particularly helpful since most of the, uh, a lot of the information is your name and your address and, and, and that sort of thing. So is it possible to put it on a postcard? Sure. Uh, it, it would be possible currently to put the return on a postcard. What you can't put on the postcard is all the computations that go into figuring out your taxable income and your tax liability, and all of that remains exactly the same. So the idea that this is 
some enormous simplification, and, and therefore you, most people will be able to do their return on a postcard um, is, is just a selling point. It, it, it's not uh, a very, really a very interesting or dramatic change from what we have currently. Willard, did that up? Oh, thank you for your call, Willard. And I think you know, his question also gets at to the point, this is still very much just a proposal. Uh, there is a lot to debate and a lot of negotiating still to go forward. What, uh, and I'd, I'd be interested in, in both of your perspectives, what do you think the odds are we actually get tax reform this year? Um, for, first, I have to uh, object to the term tax reform because this isn't truly tax reform. This is really tax cuts, and most of those tax cuts go to the very wealthy. Um, and so we should uh, call it what it is. Um, and to the extent that there are uh, it, that there is a lot of resistance to this bill because it steps on some very uh, uh, ingrained. Uh, uh, benefits that have been available under the tax code. And so there's going to be a lot of resistance. So will it pass? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to pass in its current form. And what will happen is more tax benefits will be put back in. It will cost even more. That will drive up the deficit even more. And so for those people who are truly deficit hawks, it becomes increasingly uh, impalatable as 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 a, a, a way to to go forward, and I think there's a lot more to still come out of this bill. To go back to Noah's questions about tax literacy, uh, you can't blame the public for not being tax literate. The current bill is well over 400 pages. Um, I'm a specialist in this, and I'm still working my way through it, trying to figure out what it all means. Uh, and so I think we're going to see a, a, a lot more resistance coming in, in the coming days. And, you know, it's interesting because people talk about simplicity and fairness. We want a simple and fair tax system. And, you know, the truth is fairness is not simple when you really come right down to it with a complex uh, uh, society like we have. Uh, the Soviet Union, just to, to name it, their tax system was pretty simple. You make it, we take it is from what I understand. That was simple, but that may not have been fair. So. Um, simplicity doesn't necessarily drive fairness. And as, as uh, Professor Davis said, uh, she has been going through the 460-something pages, I think it is, of uh, 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 tax simplification that this bill is. And so, um, you know, I, I always, uh, Greg, laugh at the names of these tax acts, and, and Professor Davis and I have seen a lot of them in our time with tax. Uh, but, you know, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, you know, who's going to be against that, right? You know, or the, the tax, I remember the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act back in the 80s. You know, who would be against something that was tax equity and fiscal responsibility? But it really was neither uh, in, in the bottom line. We have talked uh, about a, a lot of the provisions today, but if, if, as y'all both pointed out, this is over 400 pages. Uh, are there other provisions that would be worthwhile to highlight here in our final minutes that we haven't addressed uh, for instance, the alternative minimum tax. There's there's various other topics uh, that I'd appreciate hearing what you think should be uh, drawn uh, to, to our attention. The alternative minimum tax repeal is uh, a mixed bag um, because to the extent that it was trapping uh, middle-income people who happen to live in a high-tax state or happen to have uh, more than the standard number of children, to the extent it was it was catching those people, it was dramatically unfair. 
to the extent that it does its original goal, fulfills its original goal of making sure very high-income people actually pay a minimum amount of tax, um, I, I, I think that is, is a real loss and yet another example of how, how this bill is dramatically tilted in, in the direction of, of the very well-to-do. Who in Mississippi uh, are going to be the big winners uh, if, if this proposal were to pass as is? In Mississippi, it's going to be the same as uh, as, as elsewhere. Um, uh, we have a, a very uh, um, large populations with low incomes. They're already taking the standard deduction. They'll get a higher standard deduction and generally lower rates, and so they will... Uh, at least in the short run, benefit. Unfortunately, those benefits uh, wear away over time uh, as, as uh, uh, deductions are lost and, and credits are lost, uh, so that will wear away over time. Uh, the people who will be hurt most are uh, up higher income, uh, not by any stretch wealthy, but higher income salaried individuals who otherwise would have had uh, a fair number of, of deductions that have now been disallowed. And the people who will benefit the most are very high income people, especially people who generate their income from uh, investment of capital as opposed to um, service work. And, you know, what worries me a little bit is that if you take away the state local tax deductions, I mean, that's always been a way for the federal government to share revenue with the states. And, you know, states are going to get a lot of pressure to lower their taxes uh, in response to that when states' uh, budgets right now are, are hurting. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's an excellent point because in Mississippi, our, our state and local taxes compared to the rest of the country are fairly low. Uh, but it's some of the uh, states maybe on the East Coast that have much higher local tax, they're going to feel a real burden with the elimination of that deduction. Absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you're in a state that, say, charges 10 percent, you're in the 25 percent bracket, your, your rate now is 35 percent combined with those two for your highest dollar, uh, whereas before you could at least deduct that, that 10 percent of state taxes. Well, in our final 30 seconds, any final thoughts uh, on the, uh, the proposal as is and, uh, and the effect it could have? I think my, my biggest complaint of, of, about this um, package is that it seems uh, in, in the lower income brackets to be kind of arbitrary and capricious about who wins and, and who loses. And, and that's never a good uh, situation if you want to protect the integrity of your tax code um, and that uh, many people are not being honest about how much of the benefit of this flows to very high-income people uh, and, and the richest people in the, in, in the, in the country um, who are paying a decreasing share of tax liability uh, over time. And that'll wrap us for today's In Legal Terms. We very much appreciate Professor Davis joining us today. To hear today's show or previous show, visit mpbonline.org forward slash In Legal Terms, or you can download the MPB Media app and listen on your smart device on demand. Our board engineer and producer today was Michelle McAdoo. Our call screener was Rosemary Lewis. For Professor Richard Gershon, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next is Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.